What is going on, Badger fans? Welcome to a great episode of Lockdown Badgers with a terrific guest, as always. We're going to get into how many NFL receivers do we think are on the depth chart, and did Graham Mertz cause the downfall of Paul Christ? Uh, I got some hot takes on that. I know Rajiv does as well. We're going to talk about it next on Lockdown Badgers. Let's go. You are Locked On Badgers, your daily podcast on the Wisconsin Badgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Lockdown Badgers, your team every single day. Uh, really do appreciate everybody tuning in. We got Rasheed with us today, so we're going to bring him in as always. Uh, thank you, everybody, once again, making this one of your first listens. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And as always, when we get Rasheed in, yeah, some people – there's a little bit of faith out there that is lacking in some Badgers people need a little a national title. Absolutely. Going on final four runs. Why not? It's believe with Rajiv on today's locked on Badgers. My friend, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm sporting for those that are listening to this. I'm sporting the new hop on the Gus bus sweatshirt that Ryan so nicely sent to me. It is awesome. Let's get out there and support our guys with some NIL stuff. Can't wait. And I, I sent, uh, if you were at the live event, we gave some away uh, to, to trivia winners. That took a little bit longer to get out. So uh, hopefully everyone should have their Gus Bus stuff now. Um, we had to order, because I didn't know what size is. There's a whole thing. But everybody should have their Gus Bus stuff now. I wanted to send Rajiv and Justin one as well, just because they're amazing people. And they do so much to support the show. Um, I will put the link. I had a couple of people ask, where can we get those amazing sweatshirts, the Gus Bus stuff? I'll put a link in the show. Go get it. it. It's awesome. It fits well. It looks great. His mom designed it. He gets a cut of the NIL stuff. And if you've been listening for more than a minute, you know I'm on the Gus box. So <laughs> uh, let's let's get support that if we want to. Uh, Rajiv, i got a bunch of stuff to get into today. I want to start here. We had a great question, and this one was from Jesse Erickson. And again, I always have to pair questions down because I can only fit so many characters on the screen on YouTube. But he, he mentioned that in a previous show, I think it was me and Justin. And Rajiv, I don't know if you were in on that one. We said Danny Davis and, and Kendrick Pryor probably would not be in the too deep on the receiver depth chart this year. Um, he mentioned that both players, UDFA, they they had at least had a cup of coffee. The Bengals, the the I think the Packers with Danny Davis at least tried them out. Maybe we're too low on those players. So where would they fit into this year's depth chart? And how many NFL dudes do you think we have in the receiver room right now? So I think Davison Pryor actually would fit in on the depth chart. They, they brought a lot of talent and, and speed and, and overall ability to the team. I don't think they're on the one line, but I think they're – they're in that two line. They're kind of like maybe looking at the sort of Quincy Burrow sort of level, maybe the, um, you know, the uh, Macintosh kind of Vinnie Anthony area. I think that's where they kind of sit. But are but, those guys on the two? Just for clarity. Well, no, they're, they're not, they're not really on the two. You're right. But I, I do think they could look, it wouldn't surprise me if they were on this team, Davis or Pryor, you know, basically backing up some of the first guy. Yeah, I think they could. Do, I mean, look, our receiver room is so deep. This is why it's, this is difficult, right? Because normally, sure, they're on the one line, they're on the two line, but we have legitimately six to eight to nine to 10 wide receivers. I mean, who knows? But I think they're better than than maybe, you're, if you're saying not in the two deep, I think they're probably challenging for that two deep. As far as the NFL, I mean, obviously, you never know, right? But as far as pure potential, C.J. Williams is at the top of that list. I feel like he's the guy that if he doesn't get drafted, I think it'd be a surprise. Um, the other guy that I put in there, we haven't seen him yet, is Bryson Green because of just the talent that he brings and what, what he's done elsewhere. And he's a guy that should be able to translate. Uh, Will Pauling is another one. I feel like you know, he's just a slot receiver. He's got some unique capabilities. I feel like that's that's a good one. I don't. 
I don't really see Chimray DK as that, and I love Chimray DK, but I just don't feel like he translates to the league as much as some of the guys that have more raw physical talent like CJ does. I would like to think the Skylar Bell will because, you know, he's my guy and I love him and I think he's got a lot of growing to do. So are any of these guys NFL ready now? No, maybe Chimray maybe is a UDFA, but I feel like you're you're really going to get CJ, Bryson, Pauling, maybe Skylar Bell is the people that I would say have NFL potential that especially with CJ Williams. I he that guy is going to be fantastic all throughout his career here and at the, at the next level. So if someone gave you a number of all the receivers right now, 3.5 over under going to be drafted. Drafted, I would say under because okay. I just don't know. I mean, I would say three drafted. Now, if you tell me over and under getting, you know, getting playing time in the NFL, I would go over on that. By the way, how ludicrous is it that we're having a conversation over how many receivers in the Wisconsin <laughs> room are going to get drafted and the number isn't zero? Right? I know. We're like, I don't know, three, four? Is it five? Right? Like, that's insane to me that we're having that discussion. It's just so um, funny because over the years, right, we've just seen these like spurts at wide receiver. We had guys like Lee Evans and Brandon Williams. And we had guys who were like really good, Nick Toon, and guys sure. that really like stepped up and played well. They were surprised to us, right? They were never, we never, they never came in and said, oh, these guys are going to blow up, but they, they did really well. And that was one guy. We talked about one guy, maybe two guys that we had these great receivers. But now it's like, where does the line stop? I mean, we're also talking about we have a freshman coming in in Tretch that is so talented in the slot and the separation that he can get. We're not he's not even listed anywhere because he's even he hasn't even showed up yet. So I mean, wow! Like we're not talking about one or two guys. We're talking about six, seven, eight guys that really could could have been starters on the last five years of Badger teams, right? right? Like they all eight of those guys would have been starters on five years of Badgers. Right. And that that's really an interesting distinction. There is the the depth on the team right now. If you were to spread that out over the last several years, all these guys could have potentially been starters. I want to look back to the beginning and I want to partially agree with you and retract. So I don't think Kendrick, Pryor, I'm going to be honest. I don't think Kendrick Pryor would be fighting for a two deep spot on this team. I think he was a little too limited, a little too slight. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Danny Davis is a guy who I think I've probably not been. I think he has a big catch radius, really good hands, enough speed. Um, I think he's a guy that probably would be fighting for those reps inside that two deep somewhere. You know, and, and to the fact that they caught on as UDFAs, that's not nothing. People shrug that off. That's a that's an in, you know an indication of talent of of some type of pedigree, of some type of skill set there that NFL teams are the NFL teams don't do people favors right they don't bring you in even to camp if, unless they see some type of carrying skill mm-hmm. set so i i would say i was probably a little too harsh on denny davis there but even then is this whole conversation speaks to the depth of that unit and i also want to point out uh because i know we're going to get a comment along the lines of yo you guys just chill let's see how these guys play before we st-. this is based on a com a question we got from jesse erickson who i love by the way uh so i really do appreciate the question but we're just talking who we see is nfl potential we're not saying the Badgers are rolling four NFL second rounders out there, but I agree. There's three or four guys who potentially you could see in the NFL and it wouldn't shock me based on the body types. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, it's, it is a, it's a fun thing to talk about too, right? Yeah. It's a little bit, it's obviously very premature, but it's also just fun to, to look at this receiver room and think, wow, like we've never had anything like this. I mean, you know, look, we could also do this with the quarterback room and, and look at what, which ones of those guys might get looks at the NFL. And I think we got two solid options, 
But yeah, I mean, we've never been able to do that before. We've never been able to actually talk about right. other than our linemen and our running backs and certainly linebackers. We haven't had a lot of positions on the offense where we can say, oh yeah, like how many guys are going to get drafted or be UDFAs? And Because as a UDFA, you're still cream of the crop college football, right? I mean, to get on any NFL roster, even for a short time, even for the preseason, like you're clearly good enough to play with those top, top level football athletes. Yeah, we're certainly going to lead off believe with Rajiv with how many players are going to get drafted at some point. Exactly. Right, let's go. Let's get some optimism. I love it. But I want to I kick this back to you because this is believe with Rajiv. Every Tuesday we try to do this. Um, I, I respond to this question, but I want to get your take on this. This is from Rudy Dad 54 uh, Sorry, but Wisconsin football recruiting looks just like it did before Fickle. Three-star after three-star, another class out of the top 25. And just for context, I, I've already talked about this, but you know the Badgers have one four-star recruit. Every other recruit per the composite is a three-star or lower. Um, curious on, on your take here. He didn't even have a full cycle, so this is not like this is the look when. And I'm going to say when because I believe that it's going to happen when this team comes out and starts throwing the ball over the map this year, rises up those rankings, wins the Big Ten West, competes in the Big Ten championship game, and who knows what else. And the culture shift that we're seeing is displayed on the field. Because right now, it hasn't really been displayed on the field. <clears throat> I expect it to be. That's really when, in the next recruiting cycle and the one after that, there's just going to be so much more optimism and draw to the UW program that I think that it's going to fix itself, right? And and I think that, you know, he's going to – I've said this before. He's going to kind of tailor – the recruits as to what he wants and what he needs based on the athletes that he's looking for based on the system that he wants to run. So I'm not worried at all about his recruiting because it will only get better. Now, if three years from now, we're still talking about three star for three star, then it's a different discussion. But with everything else going on an upward trajectory with this program, I would think that the same thing's going to happen in recruiting. The other thing I would say is look at the recruiting department that Paul Chris built and, or I should say the lack thereof, a recruiting department that Paul Christ had, right? And now look at these guys and what they're doing and him coming in right away and talking about building the program from a 300 mile radius. You can obviously see he's already looking at other parts of the country. I absolutely foresee a time where we're getting fours on the regular. We're popping in some fives. Like that's going to happen if everything goes according to sort of my belief, if you will, in that we're going to win a lot of games. We're going to be throwing the ball a lot more. We're still going to be playing good defense. We're going to be competing for championships in the Big Ten. And this is what's going to continue. Thus, you're going to get better recruits. It's a cyclical thing, right? I mean, it's you have to be playing good football to get the good recruits and and vice versa. So I feel like it's it will grow with time. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm mostly there with you. I will say I'll be a little disappointed in this in-state cycle. You know, if Nathan Roy goes elsewhere, I, I still think they bungled the Sexton recruitment. But I, I want to point out, and I think this is something that doesn't get talked about enough. We've heard this recruiting department talk about uh, reaching our, out. We've already made contact with the kids two classes away, right? The, the infrastructure for classes gets built years in advance. And to your point, these, these coaches in this recruiting department haven't been here to build that infrastructure. So I don't think I, I would give them three years, but if we don't, I also am not going to judge them based on half the year, if, if that makes sense. Because it takes time to build up relationships with recruits, not just right now. Those other colleges have already started that years in advance. 
Right. Those pipelines, right? I mean, they, with, with, with Tretch coming here and I know Tretch was originally not with him, but that's a pipeline now to one of the best high school programs in the country, which is a mile away from me right now and Bishop Gorman and those pipelines, those, especially in-state pipelines, right. Are going to get built and those relationships are there. So as I keep going into these schools, I keep talking to these coaches, that's only going to get better with time. Yeah, I think that's well said. And, And I'm mostly there with you on this one. Again, I'm not overly concerned about it right now. I do think, Next year, we we need to start seeing. That's that's where I would be a little worried if by next year we're not seeing, you know, constant uptick, right? right. It should get better every year, right? It should not be, we should not have stagnation, but doesn't also need to go straight to, you know, 13 four stars next year. It just has to, it's a slow progression and a slow build. And I think that's how we're going to, that's why I said on the last show that I was on, we talked about nine wins and whether that's disappointment or not. Well, it's how we're playing, right? It's not just about the number of wins. Same thing with recruiting. It's, Okay, it's, is it not just the number of the top four stars or five stars? It's how we're looking. You know, where are the pipelines coming from? Who are we recruiting? And is there a steady rise in those rankings? Yeah, that's well said. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with this narrative that's out there. Um, did Graham Mertz maybe play a role in Paul Christ's, um, I don't want to say demise. That sounds too um, tragic. But his, in his his lost job, his lost job at Wisconsin. We're going to talk about the next on Lockdown Badgers. Uh, but first, today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book, the place I go to, the place we go to. Um, and it's a great time. The NBA playoffs are on. Baseball's full swing. You can bet on all of it, right? Same game parlays, uh, strikeouts, home runs, hits, rebounds, assists, points. If you're with me, you know that I'm riding with the Suns. Rajiv finally made some money on that Phoenix bet, so I'm excited for him there. I'm riding again on them. Now, listen, I bet with my heart. It is what it is. But if you want to roll with me on that, let's roll together the Valley of the Sun. And I do it all on FanDuel. It is America's number one sports book. Safe, secure, super easy to use. Instant payouts. Not like those other apps where you have to wait, you have to figure things out. It's complicated. FanDuel is incredibly easy to use. The customer support is incredible. And it's where I go to lay my money on Devin Booker winning a title, winning an NBA Finals. I bet on FanDuel. I suggest you do the same. You will not be disappointed. And you get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back. Bonus bets if your first bet doesn't hit. So go to visitfanduel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash locked on, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. And I want to take a second to thank all the everydayers listening every single day. If you're with us this morning, we did a live show. We talked you know, a lot about some of the comments you had. We talked about Braden Locke, quarterback of the future, question mark. Um, and if you're with us today, we got Rajiv. We got more content coming to you tomorrow. Stay tuned. As always, making it one of your first listens every day. Uh, Rajiv, I, I want to bring you back on and talk about this narrative that I've seen. I've seen it on a, a Badgers podcast. I've seen fans talk about it. You mentioned it's going on in our Discord a little bit. Um, there's a narrative that Graham Mertz, when Paul Chris made the decision, I'm going to go to Graham Mertz. I'm not going to play Jack Cohn, which led to a whole set of dominoes falling over that that was the beginning of the demise for Paul Chris. That decision played a, a critical role in what happened the next next several years for Paul Chris. I am curious your thoughts on this. I, I want to quickly start by saying I think that narrative is is mostly uh, – is, is incredibly false, actually. I think a lot of what did Paul Chris in was not the decision to go with Graham Mertz. It was an archaic offense. It was an inability to adjust. It was a recruiting department that he failed to build. It was a changing college ball landscape that he wasn't he wasn't adaptable towards. I think that's what did Paul Christen, and people are scapegoating it on the Mertz decision. I agree with you completely. Um, I mean, it wasn't Graham Mertz that um, you know that made horrible time management decisions, horrible game in game decisions when it comes to when to punt and when not to punt and when to go for it, and 
when to do what. Time and time again, we were very upset with some of the decisions he made. Um, and I would say the, the 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 number one thing, maybe not number one, number two, is recruiting department. Like that 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 recruiting department is all on him, and it wasn't there. Look at his look at his assistant coaching hires, right? Al Johnson. We've talked about this before. My goodness, like the Graham Mertz decision. Okay, so we were talking about this in the Discord. By the way, <clears throat> for those. I need to post more in the Discord, but I'd love to read all the stuff in the Discord. Um, <clears throat> we have some great stuff in Discord. So if you're not on our Discord, you know, definitely, I, I'm sure Ryan posts the link somewhere or whatever, but it's it's really great to get in there and have good Badger talk. So, uh, but yeah, the discussion was whether or not, you know, if if you would have gone with Cone, what would have happened? So Mertz probably would have transferred, right? I mean, in, in this day and age, that would have happened. We probably would have been a little better. Maybe Paul Chris is still here because we, we would have been a little bit better with Cone. And then what happens after Cone? So you just don't know. But it's it's not on it's not on Mertz. Now, did Mertz make the job harder for him? Yeah, because obviously Mertz didn't play very well. But if you if you ask the question, well, why didn't Mertz play well? Well, you know, we don't know. So Florida seems to think Mertz is going to be pretty good. So he's obviously there. But with the offense that was in place, with the recruiting department that was in place, with the fact that Al Johnson was coaching a position that he didn't need to be. A lot of things went into why Graham Mertz was unsuccessful. I, I hope he does well at Florida. I don't think he will. Sorry, but I just feel like it's not because of Graham Mertz that the Paul Chris thing went down. It's because Paul Chris made a lot of poor decisions and he took the program that was here and he slowly stepped it down into where it was losing to Illinois, getting no, sorry, getting pummeled by Illinois uh, at Camp Randall Stadium. That was the low point. That was the end. All the things that happened from when Grand Mertz got on campus after that Illinois game to, to, to the end, the last Illinois game, that's not just on him. That's on a systemic problem uh, that starts at the top with Paul Christ. Those systemic issues have now been repaired, or at least we expect them to be repaired with, with Luke Fickle. And that's why there's so much excitement around the program. So no, definitely not on Grand Mertz. I agree with you completely. So many systemic issues and systemic issues start at the top with Paul Christ. That is really, really well said. And everyone, take a drink because I'm about to mention offensive ecosystem again. That is one of the <laughs> the, buzz, the buzzwords that I have. But it's that that's really well said, Rasheed. Because it was Graham Mer uh, to your point, Graham Mertz couldn't have been successful in an offense that was that predictable. Um, that had coaches, and you mentioned um, obviously, you know, uh, Al Johnson coaching run, but Chris Herring was coaching tight ends. Mm -hmm. He'd never coached tight ends, like. Bobby Ingram was was the offensive coordinator. And was he, though? Was he calling plays? Nobody really knows. Like, the whole thing was a disaster. And people are going to expect a quarterback to succeed there. Of course he did. He had a different offensive play caller every single season. Is that on Graham Mertz? It's obviously not. And what, to your point, let's say he goes with Cone, that doesn't fix any of the other issues. Like, the, the in-game coaching, we've seen the Army decision, not going for two. These are really easy things that the head coach needs to be responsible for. So, no, it was not on Graham Mertz, the, the demise of Paul Chris. The demise of Paul Chris was self-inflicted wounds over a course of several years that, quite frankly, I don't think we saw the cracks when they first started, or we, we didn't talk about it enough, but they became pretty evident towards the end. Um, and and, and if and if we would have gone with Jack Cohn, and it might not have been now. He might not have been out now, so we might not have Fickle. Thank God we do. But it was still, the, the trajectory of the program is still going in the same direction. With Cohn, without Cohn, with Mertz, without Mertz. It's still going in the same direction no matter what. Yeah, I got a couple of comments I want to throw up here. One of them is from Coldstone. Uh, he's just talking about how successful Graham could have been in this system. And he says maybe even more than Tanner. Uh, let me, I've started the last one. Let me kick this one to you. Yeah, I mean, 
it's hard to say, but Tanner Mordecai, what he's done, what he did at SMU, I, Graham Mertz has never had numbers like that. So I, I don't think more successful than Tanner's going to be. I really hope he's he does amazing things here next year. But would he have been better? Sure, certainly, because he would have had more weapons or would have been more unique offensive play calls. I mean, part of the issue, which we talked about ad nauseum, was predictability. And that affects the quarterback just as much as anyone else, too. So he was hurt by Paul Chris, and he hurt the team, both you know, yeah. collectively. Um, yeah, he definitely would have been more successful. Not better than Tanner, though, just because, in my, in my opinion, just because of the numbers that Tanner has put up already. Now, we'll know soon enough, right, when he goes to Florida – and he's there, how, how how he plays in the SEC next year, we'll get a good sense with, by the way, good talent around him. We'll get a good sense of what Graham could have done with a better system. Uh, but in my opinion, not better than Tanner. Well, we're also going to get a good sense next year. Of, like, Quite frankly, to be fair, we don't know what Tanner's going to do. Right. In a big so sure. I think we're going to – I agree with you, by the way. I think Tanner's also more elusive. He's more mobile. I, you know, I think he, he has a few more attributes for a, a successful quarterback, but – we're going to know, um, but I think most Badger fans, yourself and I included, are, are pretty happy with that trade-off at this point. Um, we're going to take a quick break, then we're going to get into a bunch more of your comments, including a comment from um, a guy telling me, you know, maybe I'm too hung up on the stars and recruiting rankings, and I think that's an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about that next on Lockdown Badgers, but first, a quick break for our friends of the show, and a, a quick second to say thank you again for everybody that's tuned in. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. All right, let's get Rajiv back on here. Let's not waste any time uh, on Believe with Rajiv. Uh, this is from Texas Badger, who, by the way, thank you for the comment. Texas Badger, you're in a lot of the shows. He said, Ryan, don't get so hung up on the four- and five-star ratings. I watched Texas with all their four- and five-star players be mediocre. About half the guys never lived up to their expectations. I, I just want to – so I agree. The, the funny thing is I agree with this statement, but I, I think it misses a bigger context of, of successful programs, right? You can recruit really well and still be a terrible program or a mediocre program. We've seen a ton of schools do that. We've seen Auburn do that. We've seen Texas do that. We've seen um, a lot of schools do this. But you also, I don't think you can win a title unless you get those four and five star guys. You know what I mean? Like you have to have the infrastructure in place to develop those players. You have to have the coaches in place to, you know, manage the locker room and the culture. And all of this needs to also happen. But none of that matters if you don't get the, the elite talent. And typically the elite talent include the smattering of four and five star guys. I agree. It's a tough thing. I mean, I, I agree with you in general that yes, in order to win a title, you do need that, but certainly Wisconsin has been successful for many years, you know, having the most having in the top five and wins in the last 10 years or whatever that stat is now, um, you know, and with, with having the three-star guys with having a developmental recruiting system where we brought in players that fit what we wanted, fit our system and could be developed into what they needed. So it can be done. Can we win Big Ten titles with that? Yes. Can we win national titles with that? Probably not. I think that's you You do need that elite level talent. But I will always take a program that develops the three-star guys and turns them into you know perpetual winners and people who can compete versus programs that have the four and five star four and five star guys that just completely, you know, waste them away and don't really develop and don't really compete, like you mentioned, those mediocre teams which have better recruits than us. I don't want to be that. I would much rather be the guy that develops and, and is successful. So yes, I, I in general also agree. I agree with his statement in the sense that no, you don't really need to get too hung up on it because ultimately what matters is what you're seeing on the field and the wins. But also if we're talking about national championships, yeah, we're going to need to pull those four and five star guys. I think even for big 10 titles, 
I mean, no, no. When I say, yeah. let's say though, let's be clear. When I say pull four and five star guys, I'm not, I'm not talking about every player in the class, right? I'm not talking about you're recruiting at a top five right. level in the country, but I am saying we've seen it play out on the field with even some of the good Badger teams under Chris. You don't beat Ohio State unless the talent goes up quite a bit, right? They beat us ten straight times, and that's that's a talent thing. We did and have it, quite a lead in the Big Ten championship a couple of years ago. I mean, we lived with twenty one seven or something. I mean, well, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, there's a, we've been in some happened? of those games it with that. Happen, but what did happen? Yes, I know. We continue to lose to Ohio State. <laughs> Talent won out. So I, I think even to win a Big Ten title, given the behemoths in the com- conference, and by the way, the way Michigan is recruiting lately, and USC is coming on board. Yeah, that's a great point because we 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 so often just kind of we we talk about Ohio State a lot because that's who we've been we've been playing in the in a lot in, in the title games over the years. Yeah, Michigan obviously, and now with USC, and we still haven't really seen a mock up of kind of what the how they're going to break up the divisions and whether it's going to be, you know, West or however they're going to do it and what that lineup is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very difficult and USC, all, although they, they were obviously their top program, they've had a little bit of a dip. Guess who's coming right back up to the top of college football. That's USC. So now you've got Michigan, Ohio state and USC that are just going to be behemoths in the conference. So yeah, fair point. And you know, but Luke Fickle's the guy to get us there. Got to believe, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. Let's get some more comments in here. Uh, a bunch more that I would like to get to. Um, this one here. This one's going back to Greg Guard. Some of our conversations with Greg Guard. Uh, this is from Tyler Streber. Marvin Lewis was a guy that won a decent amount in Cincinnati with the Bengals, but they ultimately cut ties because he never win a playoff game. Talking about Greg Guard and March Madness, you need results. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do, but I, I – I, I'm gonna I'm gonna die on the hill of Gray Guard is still the guy for this program, and and I think that it's it's just it's how how I feel, and I feel like you know he's we're not that far, we're really not, and yes, he's got to win in the tournament, and he will. I, I don't think that we're gonna not we're not going to the Final Four anytime soon, but we are going to be competing. We are gonna be getting better than we are. Yep, I think that's well said. Jim Sainsbury says uh, again in relation to which program's gonna win it first, basketball football. He says neither, to be blunt. Uh, unless you get a top five recruiting class, you won't do that for a couple of years in a row. Uh, I just want to throw that comment up here from Jim. And thank you for all the comments as well, Jim. We talked about this a lot, uh, basketball or football, which is more likely to win a title. We had a bunch of uh, comments on this. Blake Nelson also said uh, basketball, or he actually says football, because occasionally the football, you know, a, a Florida State, an Auburn, a Texas can jump in there, and which is a right combination of quarterback and talent can win a football title. Whereas in basketball, it's typically – the Kentuckys, the Dukes. It's more of a perennial, typically. So uh, that's Blake's point on that. This one is from Tom Nesis. I want to pause on this one. Tom, as always, thank you. He said, I'm on a hold for recruiting. Let's see where they are July 1st when the summer camps are over and also the new practice facility. You know, that's another thing in conjunction with Fickle that we haven't talked about a lot. The facilities are getting a major uplift. Yeah, Tom, very good point. And we, uh, we have definitely not talked about this. And that's a big thing for guys these days, right? I mean... You know, the McLean Center is old and it needs to be upgraded and it will be upgraded. So yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big thing. And the other piece of this that we've we've touched on in the past a little bit is NIL, right? The more the varsity collective continues to grow and is and we can provide these guys what they need. You know, it's not just about, you know, what your product is on the field and your facilities, it's about money. So there's there's gonna be that piece of it as well that that I believe will be able to will also grow with Fickle, right? Because as as he's here. And as more people are supporting the program because he's doing better and he's changing the culture, letting fans into the program more than he ever has before, that theoretically will help bump up that collective and bump up some of that money coming in, which will in turn help help the recruits. But very good point about the facilities. We haven't talked about that much at all. 
No, I agree. Uh, and, and one of the things I want to point out, Rajiv, I, I see a lot of fans, and I get the the quick snap perception of it, of, you know, oh, these kids, they just want shiny things, right? You know, build a new weight room and they'll come, and it's just kind of nonsense. Listen, if you're job hunting as a 40-year-old, and I'm 40, so I can talk about it, and you go to one office, and they have an amazing facility, they have a really comfortable work workplace, right? Uh, incredible parking, uh, a cafeteria built in, and then you go to this other place, and it's like built under a dump i mean which place are you going to be more inclined to go work at you want to work in places that invest in the people that are there totally and remember these guys are 18 years old they're 18 they're not 40 they're 18 so they are even more you know impressed by the shiny objects and you're absolutely right it is an actually it's a val very valid point because you know it's, it's right it's how they invest in their, their facilities which means how they invest in their team and their whole department uh so yeah i mean 100 percent and that stuff matters. It, it really does. And, and whether or not it's, it's right that it matters, it, it does show the investment in the program, which is something that does translate over the course of you know, years into how successful the program can be. So yeah, very, very important that, that we do that. And they're kids, guys. They're kids. They, of course, they want that. When we were 18, we all would have wanted that. Yeah. That, yeah, I 100% agree. Like Oregon has like some type of waterfall in the lobby and people are like, oh, it's so gimmicky. I'm like, I would have thought that, I, I would think that's cool now. Like, you know, it, it, people like cool things. They like flashy things. They like unique things, yeah. right? And that doesn't- although, really although if I was an 18 year old going, being recruited by Oregon basketball, I would not go there because of that hideous floor. Oh, terrible. Not going. <laughs> so hideous, man. Um, I, I want to finish here because this this generated an interesting discussion. I, I mentioned that I thought the Johnny Davis team could have made a run and could have made a deep run if injuries didn't happen. Uh, there was another discussion about which team was actually more poised to make a deep run, Rasheed. And I, I want to ping you on this one. The COVID year team that finished on a flurry and obviously that entire series was wiped out because of COVID. Um, they were playing incredibly well. Or the Johnny Davis led team, who obviously Chucky Hepburn got hurt and Davis clearly was dealing with an injury. Which team, in your opinion, with health and without COVID, would have been better poised to make a run? Oh boy, I that's tough because I want to say the Johnny Davis because of the star power that he had, but I'm gonna go with the COVID year because man, like those guys were really, really pushing. I mean, won the Big Ten. Probably would have been a three, if I remember three, maybe four seed in the tournament. Maybe a three. I think we would have been top three seed, which means, you know, you're, you're in a better position to go further. Yeah, I'm going to go the COVID year, but I can see the argument for Johnny Davis because if he's healthy and, and Chucky, obviously that was a huge loss for us. Right. and We'd probably win that game with him. So, but Johnny Davis's ability to drop 40, 45 on any, on any team, if he's hot, that can absolutely take you into – you know, the Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Now, if all of a sudden you're in the Elite Eight, and again, he just goes off like he did against Purdue, you just never know, right? I mean, so I'm still going to say the COVID year because our team was better. We functioned better. We didn't have quite as many scoring droughts. We still always had some because we're Wisconsin. Right. But we didn't have as many scoring droughts. Um, but the team overall played better. But I can see the argument both sides because when you have an NBA lottery pick, that obviously is what's going to give you that initial kind of burst to, to go further. Yeah, and the commandant came in and said, um, I was off, off on the, the Johnny Davis team. And that's certainly listen, that's certainly a valid point because that team lacked depth. They they struggled a little bit down the stretch. There was no shooters. I still think it's the Davis team. I, I think you just have a dude. The game the first game he played against Purdue is one of the all-time great individual badger games we've ever seen. Um he, and he shut down, by the way, Jaden Ivey, who's another lottery pick in that game, alongside scoring 30 plus with like 13 rebounds. 
he had the ability to single-handedly win games that nobody on that that Brad Davidson led team did. So I think it's the Davis year just because of the star power, but I think it's an awesome discussion, and I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Right. I am. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, you usually go live with Rajiv, but we did a live show this morning. So, Rajiv, as always, thank you so much for jumping on, my friend. Um, on Wisconsin, and let's talk tomorrow. All right. Appreciate it.